Good afternoon, one and all, and welcome to the Grateful Dad Radio Hour, a conversation about men at home, at work, and at play, with your host, Doug Gertner, the Grateful Dad. Every week, Doug is joined by fascinating guests who tell their own authentic stories and explore all that it means to be a man. And now, here's your host, Doug Gertner, the Grateful Dad. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you, moms and dads, boys and girls, for tuning in today to this edition of the Grateful Dad Radio Hour on MileHighRadio.com. I'm Doug Gertner, the Grateful Dad, just settling in and so pleased to be here live in the studio with Dr. Sam Sappington, whom you'll meet again very shortly. And if you haven't heard, today's topic uh, should be an interesting one. We're going to address the topic, Can Gay and Straight Men Be Friends? So... If that's intriguing to you, if you know the answer and want to hear what we're going to do with it, if you're curious about the question and why we would even take it up, um, if you just want to prank someone into listening to something that they may or may not find interesting, here's my request. Let people know that we're on the air, that the Grateful Dad Radio Hour is live and good to go and uh, starting now on milehighradio.com. Since you're at your computer listening, maybe uh, send them out an email and say point your browser to milehighradio.com, click on the Listen Live bar, and you are tuned in to us now. And uh, the graph on Haas's uh, monitor will shoot up saying uh, listenership is going through the roof. Um, maybe you're listening, um, got your cell phone, your smartphone handy, and you want to text somebody again, put that link in there, milehighradio.com. You might also want to let them know if they're listening on smartphone or if they'd like to, there's a great app. Tune in radio is a free app. Tune in radio app for really, you know, smartphones of all kinds will get you in. You just put Mile High Radio into the search on TuneIn Radio app and you find that you can stream us live and listen all day long to all the great programming, talk and music at milehighradio.com or maybe just uh, pick up the old phone, whether it's your landline or your mobile and let people know that we are on the air, the Grateful to add Radio Hour with the question, can gay and straight men be friends? That's why uh, we like to talk about uh, men's issues here, men at home, at work, and at play, and I think this covers it all. So uh, feel free to let folks know. If you want to communicate with me via Twitter, it's at Doug Gertner, D-O-U-G-G-E-R-T-N-E-R is my handle. Uh, go to Facebook, and if you put in The Grateful Dads, Facebook slash The Grateful Dads, that'll get you to the main page for The Grateful Dad, and you can like that page. We're going for 500 likes before the end of the calendar year. Or if you want to be my Facebook friend, you can just go to my Doug Gertner page and uh, friend me there, look at my pictures, etc., if you've been uh, following me for a while on milehighradio.com, you'll know that on my show page, you can hear all of my recent shows on demand. My guest today, Sam Sappington, was with me for my uh, inaugural show. He called in at the that point from Oregon. We talked about his work as a psychologist and psychotherapist with uh, 
particularly men returning from military service overseas and the trauma they bring back with them that he hears about as their uh, therapist. That's there along with my discussion about Middle East peace with Rabbi Brant Rosen. My discussion as recently as last week with Bobblehead Dad Jim Higley um, is also there. It's all on uh, demand on my show page at milehighradio.com. Coming up next week, October 7th, on the Grateful Dad Radio Hour, I'm pleased to have Jim O'Dowd and other organizers of the upcoming Stay-at-Home Dads Convention that will be held next month uh, in Denver. We'll hear all about Stay-at-Home Dads and their convention, uh, October 7th, October 14th. I'm going to be asking Haas to uh, rerun for your listening pleasure the Jim Higley Bobblehead Dad interview last week, which I just thought was great. And um, then we'll uh, be back live. October 21st, 28th, November 4th, all three weeks we're going to feature folks who are um, in some way involved with the Whole Man Expo, starting with Captain Coy Theobald on October 21st, so that'll be quite a treat. As always, thanks to our sponsors, you'll hear more about them later, Emu Consulting, the Men's Anthology, and NOMAS, the National Organization for Men Against Sexism. Got a great show today on milehighradio.com with the Grateful Dad Radio Hour, and I'd like to really kick it off as I do every week by reflecting on what I'm grateful for. I call it my moment of gratitude, and it reflects that every day I use my gratitude journal and note those things for which I'm grateful, and that just continues to remind me that I have so much to be grateful for. And so today, after a really good weekend, I just want to pause and offer my moment of gratitude for what's been happening these past few days, and I'll do that kind of working back. Words. My gratitude begins with the beautiful, beautiful sunrise this morning. As we get up earlier now for high school and with the days growing shorter, I just paused and I appreciated the light and the colors of a beautiful sunrise this, this very morning. On a less lofty note, I would say I'm grateful that our Denver Broncos continue to roll with an impressive victory last Monday night when I was at the game, thanks to Trevor, and in yesterday's high-scoring affair. I'm also grateful to Maggie uh, for taking on some of the family duties so I could watch yesterday's game and enjoy our great win over Philly. I'm grateful that my son began his high school experience by attending the homecoming dance on Saturday, including dinner before and even a corsage for his sort of date. After nine years in a non-traditional independent school, it's great to see him experiencing a, a, a typical scene, a typical school scene, even if he quickly recognized that it may not be exactly his thing. More gratitude in this regard for Jordy being quote-unquote adopted by seniors last Friday. They arrived at our home at 3.45 a.m. and sort of kidnapped my son for this sort of mild hazing that was all part of Spirit Week at his high school. And when I picked Jordy up after the pep rally that day, he was energized and amused by the whole thing and already aware of how he would do it with more consideration and less nonsense when he's a senior. And with gratitude, I celebrate the way I ended my work day last Friday by making progress on my upcoming gratitude events for November, which I'll be talking more about very shortly. I'm pleased and grateful that the risks I'm taking are already showing some rewards. So that's my moment of gratitude for this week, for the past few days. And once again, I'm grateful to everyone for listening to the Grateful Dad Radio Hour today. I do encourage you to make a habit of being grateful.
the Ramones and rock and roll high school. Oh, you know, that is infectious. And uh, I just hope no infections are encountered now that my son is in high school. Um, so um, I'm going to ask that same question first. Um, About infections? <laughs> no, we're not oh. going there. Oh, well, you started it. <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, roll it back a little bit. We're, we're back to gratitude, Huss. Uh, what are you grateful for today? I got a big one. Okay. Uh, it's it's heavy duty. I normally don't get into this, but I participated in something yesterday that really, really touched. It didn't touch my heart. It grabbed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it just grabbed it and shook it up. Uh, I'm going to read you something, uh, kind of a preview. On September 27, 2006, a gunman entered Platte Canyon High School and held seven girls hostages and ultimately shot and killed Emily Keyes. Mm-hmm. During the time she was held hostage, Emily sent her parents text messages. I love you guys, and I love you guys, okay? Emily's kindness, spirit, fierce joy, and the dignity and grace that followed this tragic event define the core of the I Love You Guys Foundation. The last Sunday of every month, <clears throat> excuse me, there is a bike ride in Emily's honor. It uh, Yesterday's ride was the eighth ride. It is now a national event. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the first one came together just a spur of the moment thing. They had... They had six weeks to plan for it, which something of this magnitude is is not nearly enough time. Um, my landlord, turns out, was on that first ride. I was on yesterday's ride. It has grown to, I don't know what the total number of bikes were yesterday. It was in the thousands. It was incredible. That now, nationwide, because this happened all over the country at different locations, over 26,000 people had registered for the ride. Wow. Pledging money, support, whatever. Well, that was awesome enough. But then as we rode, we started started at Columbine High School. Mm-hmm. And from there, we rode up through Bailey into uh, Platte, Platte Canyon High School. There were hundreds and hundreds of people parked along the roadway, uh, standing on overpasses, waving, cheering, holding signs, all in support. It, it was like... We went on this 45-mile bike ride to a standing ovation the mm-hmm. entire way. I was totally blown away. I really was. But what really blows me away is parents who have to go through things like this, go through the tragedies. They somehow are able to pull it together and turn turn this tragedy into, into nothing but total goodness. That's that's one of the challenges that, you know, as I continue to explore this question that you're so kind to weigh in on every week about gratitude, you know, how do we recognize gratitude in the face of the most yeah. horrific kinds of, you know, what am I grateful for? And, and, and when so much pain is associated with a particular event, what about that event am I grateful for? Well, it's almost like, my experience is the people who suffer the most are the ones that rise so far above it and mm-hmm. are so grateful, not for the event, obviously, but for all the things they can do. They're, they're, they're raising money. They've, they put together a course to make our kids safer in schools. Mm-hmm. It is now, they are now in, this course um, is now in 
over 1,300 schools in Colorado and over 5,000 schools nationwide. Mm -hmm. I got a chance to meet her dad, um, and what a gracious man. Really was. But uh, got a chance to talk to him briefly, and he has agreed to come on one of our shows. Excellent. So I just... uh, that's what I'm grateful for is just being able, it was an honor. Mm-hmm. You know, I love to ride my bike, but it, this truly was an honor to be able to be a part of such goodness. Thanks, Haas. And thanks for keeping us on the air here at uh, milehighradio.com. He's our guru. And I want to turn now to my guest, Sam Sappington. I asked you this over uh, a phone connection um, on my very first Mile High Radio Show, and we'll do an introduction very shortly, but I'm just glad that uh, you're in the neighborhood and able to come by the studios today. So um, the simple, if, if, if you consider it so, the simple question is simply that, again, what are you grateful for today? Well, Doug, I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to get to see you and get to see your lovely wife, Maggie, and your rapidly growing son, Jordy, uh, on this brief trip through Colorado. Uh, last time we were here, you folks were out of state and we missed you. So That's it's right. nice to have you here when, when we happen to be here. I'm grateful for just having the opportunity to have a wonderful vacation with my partner of 20 years now, my partner Clark. Uh, we just got to spend some wonderful time with some other friends of ours, another, another couple from the Fort Collins area. We just spent the better part of a week down in Santa Fe, Hadn't been back to that part of the country in almost 15 years, and it was just magical, mm-hmm. magical. The, the land, land of, of enchantment. enchantment. <laughs> yes, it lives up to that that billing. And uh, oh, it was it was such a enriching you know time together for us to kind of reconnect with that special part of the of the planet. I'm also very grateful for the chance to come back to Colorado which as you know was was my home uh, for all of the 1990s yeah. from 1990 to 1999 before making the move out to Oregon uh, I was very concerned about coming to Colorado in the aftermath of the recent floods and the recent horrible weather you folks had here and but at the same time it was nice to kind of see how We're the state is coming together and it yeah. was it was very very grateful that the the death toll was as small as it was even mm-hmm. though some of the property damage has obviously been quite extensive but it's it's clear that uh, people are determined to to move on and you know I, I just kind of am feeling that resilience factor of the state of Colorado which is which I remember well from having lived here so. great a grateful homecoming after a, a grateful enchanting uh, vacation Sam Sappington is my guest you'll meet him formally and officially very shortly thanks uh, to both Sam and Haas for joining me in a moment of gratitude and let me again add that I'm asking the question of you my listeners to take a moment if you will and consider What are you grateful for today? Stop, think about it, reflect for a moment. And if you're interested, go to my website, thegratefuldad.org slash shop, gratefuldad.org shop, to get your copy of The Grateful Dad's Journal of Gratitude, and you can start keeping a gratitude journal today. I can recommend it. 
I'm going to talk more about gratitude here as we um, move along, and and glad for everybody who's willing to listen today, both far and wide. I know we've got a lot of listeners on the front range of Colorado, and I want to give a shout out to uh, a very uh, funny father uh, who I know. I mean, a funny man who happens to be a great dad, uh, Dink, out in uh, North Carolina. Thanks for listening out there, bro. As you know, uh, if you're a regular listener to this show, every week at this time, I, I give a quick update. I call it the Full Circle Fatherhood Report based on an essay that I contributed to the men's anthology titled Ordinary Men, Extraordinary Lives, Defining Moments, which is one of the sponsors of our show, and we'll talk more about them. You'll hear a bit more as we uh, move into the show. But uh, typically, it's a what's up in my life as a, as a father and as a son, as a partner, and uh Right now, though, I want to focus more on what I'm doing in, in, as the Grateful Dad, as a, uh, keynote speaker and a motivational trainer. Um, the month of Thanksgiving, the month of November, um, I'm going to pay it forward. And I'll get, I'll be talking about this, uh, on the upcoming edition of Pay It Forward Radio right here on milehighradio.com. So please tune in to that. But as we, um, look toward the month of November, I've decided to take it away from my paid work and actually pay it forward by giving away as many free gratitude workshops as I can. And to do that, I've put it out to all my clients uh, for my main business, EMU Consulting, and anybody else who I can think of. And I've already booked half a dozen dates with plenty more dates in uh, the month of November, several dates pending. What I have in mind is to offer a free two-hour workshop to anybody who's interested. And in addition, if it's not a, a workplace client who wants to bring it in there, I'm going to offer a public opportunity as well. Coming to the Stapleton neighborhood in Denver on November 4th, the great Thanksgiving event. I call it Thanksgiving Making Gratitude Your Greatest Asset. And it's a two-hour workshop that I'll offer to anybody who's interested that makes both the business case for gratitude and also shows you how to have a grateful day every day. I mean, seriously, gratitude can t change a bad day and make it better. It can take a good day and make it great. And I think for all of us who seek to make the most of each day, the attitude of gratitude can make all the difference. So if you'd like to learn how to have a grateful day, I hope you'll come to this workshop. I've got hands-on experiences and, and tools and techniques to really show you how to bring gratitude into your life every day so that you can plug into it and pump up gratitude on purpose and in practice every day. Um, you'll have a chance to use the aforementioned Grateful Dad's Journal of Gratitude and some other resources and begin to celebrate everything that's going right in your life because the more you celebrate it, i found, the more you multiply it and manifest it and get more of the good stuff that you're seeking every day. I'll tell you the story of my year of living gratefully and, and show you how you can do as I have to harness the power of gratitude to really transform your life. That's, that's what's happened to me. So just in time for the celebration of Thanksgiving, this will be on Monday, November 4th. You can sign up for a free session and, and really bring a friend. What are we going to do? During that two-hour workshop, you'll learn the five greatest possible rewards of daily gratitude. And really, the five is, is ten. You'll learn how my year of living gratefully changed everything for me and how you can 
begin to change everything by living gratefully every day. You'll actually go through the process of reflecting on the many ways that everyone is grateful on a daily basis. And during the workshop, I'll make sure that you have a chance to practice daily gratitude journaling. So all you really need to do is save the date, November 4th. It's a Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Tell a friend and you can both come and enjoy kind of an early holiday gift for yourselves just by attending and really, I, I I can pretty much guarantee that the gift keeps on giving all year long. Gratitude really multiplies satisfaction and productivity for anyone who brings more of it into their lives. So mark your calendar now, Monday, November 4th, 7 to 8.30 p.m. The location is the Stapleton Master Community Association Community Room. It's at 2823 Roslyn Street in Denver, 80238. So the MCA... Uh, community room at Stapleton at 28th and Roslyn. Anyone of any age, there's no charge. It's just that this is the season of Thanksgiving, so I would say gratitude never goes out of style. You can contact me, Doug, at thegratefuldad.org, or just go to thegratefuldad.org and look for the button that says The Great Thanksgiving, and that's the way to get yourself registered. So, yeah. That's what I've got going in November. I call it the Great Thanksgiving. It's a gratitude event coming to Stapleton on November 4th. We'll do the Making Gratitude Your Greatest uh, Asset workshop that makes the business case for gratitude and shows how to have a grateful day. And I invite you to sign up for this free two-hour workshop. And if you'd like to bring one to your workplace or organization, you can contact me well uh, as well. That's Doug at thegratefuldad.org or to sign up today, go to www.thegratefuldad.org and click on the button that says The Great Thanksgiving. That's the way to join me for the Great Thanksgiving event on November 4th. Thanks for considering it. It's just a great big thank you to you and everybody else who wants to make gratitude their greatest asset. Domo Arigato. Thank you. Thanks for listening to me. Apples in Stereo is the name of the band. You don't hear that band every day, but if you listen to them more, you might wish you did. So hope you'll be interested in learning more about the great Thanksgiving event. I'm also excited to be talking about it um, this coming Thursday, this Thursday, the 3rd of October, right here on MileHighRadio.com. I'm a guest on Pay It For Forward Radio with Kathy Bacon. You can learn more at the Pay It Forward Radio web uh Facebook page and join me and Kathy for a conversation all about the Grateful Dad and paying it forward with gratitude events the whole month of November. We have time now to turn before our first break to my guest today and our topic, Can Gay and Straight Men Be Friends? Dr. Sam Sappington is here as my guest for the conversation. Sam Sappington and I first crossed paths at the 1989 National Conference on Masculinity in Pittsburgh, sponsored by NOMAS, the National Organization for Men Against Sexism, which is also one of the sponsors of this show. Not long after, Sam became my colleague and 
collaborator at Colorado State University, where we developed and taught the first-ever women's studies class about men at CSU. He's been a friend ever since, and I've been a fan of his good work as a psychologist and as an activist. Sam earned his doctorate in counseling psychology from the University of Maryland, and he served as a psychologist and training director at Colorado State and Oregon State Universities. Dr. Sappington currently has a busy private practice in and around Corvallis, Oregon, where he's also active in state politics, serving as a delegate to the 2008 Democratic Convention, running for a seat in the state legislature, and I was just reminded yesterday, casting one of Oregon's electoral votes to re-elect President Obama. Marriage equality is currently keeping Sam politically active as he's working on a statewide ballot initiative up there in Oregon. Over our many years as friends and colleagues, Sam has showed me through example and instruction what it means to be a friend. He's always there for me when I call and makes a point of staying in touch and ensures in spite of the distance that we get together whenever our schedules permit. Along the way, We've both learned and proved repeatedly that gay and straight men can, of course, be friends. We share the joys of this friendship and the pain at ongoing efforts across the U.S. to discriminate against lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, and queer folks. Even as Colorado now permits domestic partnerships, it is not possible to get married in the state of Colorado. That may change, as it may, in Oregon. We'll talk more about that, but right now I'd like you to stay tuned for a look inside the real friendship between gay and non-gay men. That would be us. As I welcome back Dr. Sam Sappington to the Grateful Dad Radio Hour. So welcome again. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. So, you know, because you've been through the drill a little bit, I'd like to ask my guests for a bit of background after giving sort of my version of your introduction. And if you could, you know, touch on a defining moment in your life, probably as it relates to our topic today. What's what's a, a way to introduce yourself in the topic? Well, um, you know, it's interesting. I think we both acknowledged even earlier today there's some obvious answers to this question. You know, can gay men and straight men be friends? And then there are some also some kind of complicating components to that can get in the way sometimes. Oh, yeah. I, I think certainly, um, you know, I as I reflect back on my own life and my own kind of coming out experiences, I I I, I was aware even in high school mm-hmm. of of some uh, strong attractions that I felt to other males at, growing up with and as teenagers and so forth, and at the same time. Um, I didn't really fully embrace that aspect of my own identity until well into my twenties. I was probably it was probably near the very tail end of my undergraduate years, you know, at the University of California at Davis. So awareness so, in your teens and full embracing and acknowledgement to yourself in your early twenties. Really, I mean, a decade of the better part of a decade of just kind of having that awareness, but before mm-hmm. fully saying, you know, this really is who I am, and this is really who do you know? Who I'm most drawn to. I, on reflection, what's what was a barrier, or what kept the process at that pace rather than any quicker? Or yeah. Well, I, let me very quickly say, I don't think it's taking quite that long in 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 current current times i i do think this is something that younger people are figuring out for themselves at younger younger ages and more easily so back okay. then back then back way back then yes, we're starting absolutely. to talk almost ancient history here 
Um, I think there was just so much more of the cultural force of kind of more traditional, yeah. stereotypical thinking about men and masculinity. If heterosexuality which, is the norm, exactly. then then it really felt more deviant than it does today to be fully who you are. And it wasn't until we were in the early 1990s that you and I were able to start teaching that class that yeah. began to raise very serious questions and new ways of exploring. Absolutely. One of our textbooks, if I remember, was something like Men and Masculinities. Yes. To acknowledge there is more than many, one many way ways. to be a man. There, there's, there's something that occurs to me that I want to remember, but I'm, I'm too chronological to, to let this conversation fast forward that far. Can I ask uh, a couple of defining moments in your coming out presses? Who did you tell first or what group of people? Where, when, when did your family become aware from you? Whatever they might say, oh, you know, we've, we've been wondering when you would come to us, Sam. When did you come and who did you come to first when it came to coming out? I remember talking to one of my younger brothers mm -hmm. who I think was a little surprised at the time. And one of his biggest initial reactions was, I'm not sure you can tell dad about okay. this. You know, okay. He was worried about how our father would respond. And I remember... You're the oldest I'm the brother, oldest of, so of four. And I have two other younger brothers and a, and a, a, a younger sister. Okay. So I'm the oldest of four in the family I grew up in. Was it a conscious choice who you would talk to first? Um, that's a good question. I'm... I remember where we had the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, it was interesting. We were at the time we were we had a little weekend job where my father worked. You know, kind of doing some office cleaning and uh, so forth. And it was doing one during one of those weekend cleaning shifts. And okay. I had a conversation with that brother. My mother, I remember asking me very directly. My mother kind of suspected, and my mm -hmm. mother kind of, in some ways, kind of put me on the spot. In some ways, I kind of say my mother dragged me out of the okay. closet. Okay. Thank you, Mom. And my mom had the same reaction. I'm not sure your dad's going to take this very well. I got to so, know where this goes. What? How finally did... Well, I took their initial reactions way too much to heart, and I probably took another five years before I finally decided to take the risk of telling my father. And I actually was i was living all the way the other side of the country at the time. I was going to graduate school at Cornell University. And I remember writing a letter to my father that was about a 12-page letter with five pages of prefacing remarks. I was trying to pad it and cushion it as much as I could. And I, I remember sending him this letter and feeling like I was almost like launching this, you know, Scud missile so, across so the country you're, or something. So you're back east in, in where was, the, was Ithaca, this when you were in Ithaca? Ithaca. And, and you're in grad school at Ithaca getting your master's at the time and you got you were ready in your process of coming out to let your dad know and you did it in the form of a 12 page letter that got <laughs> mailed back to California what before we move on to what we came to talk about this is great foundational discussion as far as I'm concerned what ensued well um, about three or four days after I put it in the mail uh, it must have landed in California safely because I got a phone call that evening uh, or the evening my father received the letter mm -hmm. saying Sam it's dad and I'm going oh hi dad mm -hmm. and he goes I, I'm calling to thank you for the letter mm -hmm. that you mailed me he says I didn't have to read more than the first paragraph or two of your letter to really know what it was about mm -hmm. and he says I can't tell you that I'm surprised by what you shared with me in your letter. He says, but I am so thankful. He says, I've known this about you for a while. Mm -hmm. He says, but I've never known how to talk about it with mm -hmm. you. 
And now we have a wonderful opportunity to be, both of us, be more open and acknowledging about this. Thank you for opening the door, son. I really welcome it. I'm going to walk through it with you. How beautiful. And He floored me. He floored me. And I've actually told that story a number of times over the years. Uh My dad, unfortunately, is no longer with us. But I think it made the whole family realize maybe we didn't need to be so fearful of dad's reactions as we all thought we needed to be. That's lovely. That's telling. And it says a lot. Well, when we come back... um, from our break, and, and, and thank you for going there with me because, you know, for those of uh, us who have been through any process of coming out to our family, to our friends, to our parents, you know, it's helpful to know we're not alone. And at the same time, you know, where we'll pivot to after the break is is friendships. And, and so when we come back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you about your earliest friendships and how they were affected or, or enhanced or, or, or not, you know, otherwise by being openly gay with other men. And then, you know, it's going to clearly cause me to reflect on my own earliest friendships with men. You're listening to the Grateful Dad Radio Hour. We're coming to you on milehighradio.com. Dr. Sam Sappington is my guest. I'm Doug Gertner, the Grateful Dad. The question is, can Gay and non-gay men be friends. Um, even if you know the answer, I hope you'll stay tuned. We've got a couple of messages, and we'll be right back. back and this is the Grateful Dad Radio Hour on milehighradio.com. I'm Doug Gertner, the Grateful Dad, so pleased to be joined in the studio today by Dr. Sam Sappington in the studio. Yes, although you know uh, if you listen to my first show on Mile High Radio that uh, Sam hails from Oregon these days, but uh, as I noted in his introduction, we uh, worked and taught and uh, hung out together many years ago when he was a Coloradan, and I'm so glad that he and Clark are passing through, spending time uh, with me and Maggie and Jordy and stopping by the radio for this discussion. We're calling Can Gay and Straight Men Be Friends? Um, just a program note, st- uh, stay tuned after we wrap up at the top of the hour. Uh, listen to some good music until 3 o'clock when the geese comes in with what I think is still called Mondays at 3, but might more morph to uh, the Zen Leadership Radio Show. Um, an interesting guest today. They're talking about the power of smiling, smile power. So uh, show your teeth on that one and uh, keep your ears tuned to milehighradio.com Mondays at 3 with Geese and Lisa and their guest today. My guest, as I say, is Sam Sappington. We were talking about, Sam, before the break, um, the, you know, kind of long, maybe almost not, not quite lifelong process, but the first portion of your life, of, of, of any person's life, in terms of getting our own sense of ourself and our identity. And when it comes to being gay in society, when and how is the right time to come out to yourself, to your family? And then... To your friends, I wonder if there's an early 
friendship story, you know, as a guy. I mean, we were talking about how I ran cross country in high school. You ran cross country in high school. My son Jordy is now running cross country in high school. Those kinds of associations that we had throughout high school and college where, you know, those were the sources of friendship, our activities, our neighbors, uh, the guys we, we hung out with, we resonated with and had something in common with. Um, how did, did your own process of coming out beyond your family kind of affect your friendships? Um, any, any memorable stories in, in that regard? Well, it, it was interesting because even though I wasn't really identifying as gay during my high school years, probably the best friend I had in high school was the guy that everybody thought was gay. Okay. And who who wound up not turning out no, but, to but be gay. That's a beautiful object. I mean, what did that mean? I mean, what was he into? How did he show up that he got labeled gay in high school? What I mean, just a quick descriptor, whether you want to use this real first name or not. Who was he and what made people think he was the gay kid? Oh, he was he was kind of almost like stereotypically effeminate. Okay, you know, he, he didn't show up with yeah. typical manly masculine uh, yeah. qualities, so that made him... By yeah. default, possibly gay. Yeah, okay. Kind of a higher pitched voice. You know, we were mm-hmm. both in marching band together. Okay. Yeah. You know, he went on to become the drum major uh, right. our senior year and everything. And, um, you know, uh, and I remember he, he kind of got targeted and bullied a lot. Certainly <laughs> no a doubt. lot more than I did. No know? doubt. And, uh, um, but, you know, I, again, I didn't come out until almost like the tail end of my undergraduate years in mm-hmm. college. Mm-hmm. And again, that was after several years of internalizing some of the fear yeah. that it was even coming from my own initial discussions with family members, you know, that, you mm-hmm. know, in, the whole concept of internalized homophobia, I yeah. think, was much more prominent back in the 70s and the 80s and so forth. You know, oh, that, I don't know. I mean, is it not a human quality to in, in, in internalize our fear and turn them on ourselves? That's what we're really talking oh, yeah. about. And yeah. and yeah. you and I have to risk, you know, we've got, you know, six degrees between us. I mean, not six degrees of separation. I mean, each, you know, <laughs> un, an undergraduate and two graduate degrees each. Sure, and, sure. you know, we've, we've taught this stuff. We've lectured. We've studied. We've written. We've got to be careful. I mean, we don't have to be careful, but, but, you know, we could get real academic because what we understand about men in society is men learn how to be, you know, strong, silent, cool, unemotional, master of women, and all of that, you know, sort of John Wayne qualities, with all due respect to Marion, you know, to John Wayne is to say it's, it's difficult to be fully who we are as men when society tells us here's the archetype that we're holding you up against mm-hmm. i'm i'm thinking back and you know you're right there was nobody in my high school um who was openly gay to my knowledge and although i was you know for a time i was a popular kid and an athlete i feel like i had friends across the spectrum and i don't think that i would have picked on or bullied i know i didn't necessarily marginalize anybody who might have shown up in ways that were less than masculine then there was college, and it, you know, at college, in my small little college in Ohio, there were fraternities, and each, almost every one of them had a stereotype. There were the preppies, you didn't want to join them unless you were rich enough or wanted to be held out, and there were the football players, which I wasn't, and even the swimmers, because they were national champions, seemed to gravitate toward one. And there was one that was theater people slash gay, and even though nobody at that time... Hmm. Now I think back, maybe somebody was openly, but there wasn't, it wasn't as if 
this was a place where openly gay men joined. It was that, like you say, if theater people are more, you know, into the dramatic arts, then that makes them a more sensitive artist type that may make them more, as you say, effeminate. You know, until after high school, until after college, I wasn't aware necessarily of anybody on my campus being gay. And, And that strikes me now as I think about working on college campuses as you did for many years Mm -hmm. and doing the gay awareness programs to try to, and it makes me think of the class we taught together where, um, on the first day of class, hi, you know, I'm Dr. Sappington. Well, I'm Doug Gertner working on my doctorate. We're teaching this class. Here's your assignments, you know, and, and very early on, um, we didn't talk about our own sexual identity. Um, and it was only later that, it, it emerged in the class. So here's one I remember. You took a semester off from teaching it. I taught the class and I collected data about the men who took the class. And you came in and guest lectured. And as you opened up and came out to that class, I think they had a revelation. And the class I studied, I measured their homophobia reducing over the course of the semester. And I think you coming to that class and being out in that class helped teach my students to be more open to the spectrum that is sexual orientation. Oh, I think, I, I, I think you know, so. You know, one of the things that um, has always been true of me <laughs> is I've always made a priority of keeping in touch with old friends. Yeah. And even though I was almost done with college before I came out to myself and then really started coming out to other people, I was still in touch with a lot of old high school friends. Mm-hmm. And um, I... Remember how afraid I was of how many friends I, I might lose if I started coming out to more really? people. Really? Coming out, the process of coming out for me in college, I kind of did that with several friends. Sure. You know, and I sure. kind of had more of a built-in support network. But when there, you're but talking remember, about going back to your high school friends with whom you've always stayed in touch and figuring out who and how and when to let them know what you yeah. know about yourself. What, how did it, that go? Well, I remember thinking I was going to lose most of my old friends. Really? And I was so pleasantly surprised, and I should have learned the lesson from even my own immediate family. Yeah. You know, I didn't. There was there was one friend I remember who did not respond well initially. Mm-hmm. But over the next five to ten years, she realized, you know, you're still who you yeah. Are you still yeah. who I've always known and who I've always liked? And you know, she kind of she kind of came around. So I, I honestly could tell you, I haven't lost a single friend because of coming out to them, or because. But I had that fear inside me for so many years, and so, I think that's common among a lot of. So I'm going to sit here lesbian. and and play my role. I'm the non-gay. I'm I'm the straight man, so to speak. And this is <laughs> and this is not a comedy routine. I'm the straight man saying, "What am I so afraid of when it comes?" To gay men. Am I afraid that by association, if I'm friends with you, that I will be mistaken for gay? I think that's one of those things. And what's that fear in non-gay men? Well, I'm thinking of a pyramid here with at the top is men doing all they can to stay at the top of the heap and below them is women and below them is children and below them uh, is the planet and, and four-legged, you know, creatures and, and, 
part of what comes with being a man is staying on top of the heap, and that's acting like that stereotypical, you know, hegemonic masculinity that says you've got to be strong, silent, cool, unemotional, and the master of women, and to be associated because, okay, women and men are supposed to love one another. If you're a man who loves men, then you're like a woman, and that makes you lesser than a man. That's the process that I don't think is conscious with men. It's only conscious with me because I studied this academically. And yet that's, I think, the root of the fear. It's the fear of femininity. It's the fear of being less than. And as we know with any fear, all it does is lock us up and limit us mm-hmm. from being fully human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so exactly. that's the fear on the on, on, on the straight male side of things is I don't want to be taken for something that I'm not or worse yet that I might not have admitted to myself. I am, I don't know. That's the fear. Sure. Sure. Um, I think, and and again, I think it has changed in the years that we've been friends. It's absolutely changing. um, You know, we, we met one another in the context of attending a nationwide conference of men who were, you know, challenging these assumptions yes. and, and trying to yes. break new ground as far as, you know, in many ways, I think we were trying to, you know, carry over some of the lessons that were emerging out of the women's movement and Absolutely. the whole feminist movement that if we if we let ourselves break out of some of these very oppressive, very restrictive, you know, gender roles and gender socialization patterns. There's all kinds of good things that can come from for men and for women. Absolutely. Unfortunately, and I think you and I have acknowledged this in the past, women have probably allowed themselves to benefit more from that kind of thinking and that yes. kind of challenging and questioning than men have. Men have been much more reluctant to stop and reflect on these issues and yes. reflect on these on these matters. Well, and, you know, in terms of sex and gender women are the second class, you know, they are the marginalized sex. Men have more power than women in society. They have more to gain by breaking down some of the the, the patriarchy that exists in society. And so, you know, they're more clued in. But, you know, it it kind of brings me to, to, to the question, why do women have an easier time? with gay men and, and and you know probably have more gay friends than than men have gay friends i mean you know what what's your take on that one well i think there's there's kind of interestingly i think there's probably two sides to that question mm-hmm. you know for one i think you know women have just been trained to tend to be more comfortable being emotionally expressive, yeah. more physically affectionate. Absolutely. You know, uh, women talk about their BFFs, their best friends forever, mm-hmm. you know, that in many cases <laughs> friends going all the way back to high school. You know, again, as men, I think we were trained to be a little bit more of that, that rugged, a little bit more standoffish, Absolutely. you know. I remember, you know, uh, it wasn't all that many years ago where it wasn't all that comfortable for men to just hug one another, yeah. you know. Yeah, and we still that, joke about it. You know, yeah. a guy hug a, is like a, a... An air hug almost, yeah, or, you, know? you know. or, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pat your back so hard that, you know, I don't know if I want to hug you. It hurts, man. But, yeah, that, that, that open show of affection between men has been it's been part of the fear of femininity of being labeled or named gay um you know another piece though that i want to talk about that i think is an interesting one you know there's always the the presence of the possibility of sex or the possibility of some kind of sexual attraction yes and i think men in particular don't always know what to do with that and that can be true if you're gay or straight absolutely i think it's one of the factors that gets in the way for a lot of straight men yeah having very large numbers of uh, friends 
friendships with other women. Okay. Um, but from the gay side of the equation, mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, gay men may find themselves being easily sexually attracted to other men. Yes. In ways that can sometimes create that own, that, that additional new barrier. Yes. We're to, talking about, we're talking about sexual tension here. Yeah. We're talking about attractions sure. and, so, so, you know, one notion here is it's easier for both men and women if, if, if they, if, if, if she's not gay and he, well, if she is gay too, and, 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 and she's friends with a gay man, the sexual tension is out of the equation and they can be friends oh, yeah. across genders oh, yeah. without having the sexual tension. The, a lot of, a lot of my women friends have commented over the years, yeah. you know, yeah. about how that's, that's why it's easy for you and me to be <laughs> friends because there ain't no tension here. Yeah. And then you bring up something back to this, you know, question of the day. Can gay and straight men be friends that if guys think, if, if, if straight guys like me think, well, gosh, if I'm hanging out with this gay dude, even if I can reconcile the fact that people are going to maybe think I'm gay. You know, I like to say, because I'm a man who carries a purse. I carry a guy bag because there's so much stuff I want to slip around with me, including this um, <laughs> iPad that I'm reading my questions off of today. You know, so I'm comfortable enough in my masculinity to carry a purse. But even if I'm cool hanging out with great, wonderful friends like you and you're gay, you know, am I worried about you hitting on me? And it's like, come on, guys, really? I mean, that is a fact of life. And, you know, I could dis men and I try not to and say, well, to the extent that we think with our small heads and we are supercharged from between our legs and we're all as men thinking about sex all the time then okay, maybe that's as true that my gay friends are interested in me, but then I'm going to have to admit that I must be looking at every woman as an object and potential sex partner. And look, you know, certainly who has the time and at my age who has the energy. <laughs> and, you know, I think that, that if that's part of the fear factor of men, then then that's simply nonsense. Yeah, I yeah. would agree. I would agree. So... I want to bring up the word ally and, and just, you know, get your take on this. You know, there's been a, for a long time, I was considered, I, mean, I still am considered an ally, okay? I am not gay and I do support gay rights and I do everything in my power the way, you know, a generation before me, including very clearly a generation of Jews before me, supported the civil rights movement for equality for African-Americans, people of color in this country and in society. But what does an ally mean? And, you know, why is it that some of the, the, the young activists today may be rejecting the idea of allies? Are, are you going to comment on that? I mean, as your you, ally. You, you commented on that last night. Actually, that's the first time I've heard that there's a growing sense of rejection among younger activists about the whole concept of being an ally. But... I've got to I've got to hear more about that before I can comment on that. I I I'm very appreciative, and I think uh, the gay rights movement in general is very much dependent upon the existence of allies. And allies, I think, are people who have gone through some kind of, you know, process of soul searching, you know, introspection, you know, questioning some of the more traditional conventional yeah. training. I mean, we have to realize we had we've all had centuries of. You know, major social institutions, you know, condemning us in one way or another. You know, the, the church, 
labeled us as being evil or sinful for centuries. You know, um, medicine, even the medical field, you know, labeled us as being sick, you know. And yeah. this year marks 40 years since the American Psychiatric Association removed homosexuality from the list of mental disorders. But prior to 1973, it was considered a, ment a form of mental illness. Um, certainly, many states, many countries have have made it an illegal thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was also in the mid 1970s that most states in this country started removing um, uh, laws that would, you know, throw some people in jail and replacing those with consenting adults' laws. Okay. You know? um, so, but we had those major social institutions yeah. that condemned and criticized and demonized us. And so to have allies who were on your side in the fight for equality and against overt discrimination yeah. based on misunderstanding, fear and hatred, you know, so let's not throw allies out with the bathwater. No. I think, I think what our source in this case, the young activist we both know was saying is, does ally go far enough? You know, to simply be an ally, is that going far enough? And that, I think, just says we've got a long way to go. And that kind of brings me to the... You can be an ally that stays in a very comfortable place. Yes, Or you exactly. can be an ally that's yes. really out there on the front yes. lines, kind of pushing things more and trying yes. to be more in people's faces, if you will. So. Yeah, because, you know, I guess we're not taking this conversation, but maybe we should turn there. And then if we, if we get to some of the um, marriage equality laws, we will. But, you know... I talk about this silly fear that I think men like me can fall prey to if we're not careful, which is our fear of femininity, our fear of being labeled something that we don't fully, you know, th th that we can't be comfortable with. But what fears does a gay man live with? You know, and I think we're, we're, we're talking about this in the terms of masculinities, but I don't think that some of the answer is different for lesbian women, for bisexual, transgendered, you know, queer, intersex, searching, whoever we're talking about. But, but you know, I'm talking about violence, hate crimes, you know, the, the you know, we worked together in Fort Collins that was a short ride from um, – Laramie, Wyoming, where I taught a men's studies class not too many years before Matthew Shepard right. died a cruel death for simply showing up as a gay man in that town. I mean, what fears do we live with men who happen to be gay that that just need to be acknowledged before we have to wrap up? Well, certainly, you know, gay bashing has, has been around, you know, always. Yes. Um, there are there always, always that potential threat of, of being attacked violently. You know, there are some some who still advocate, and there are even some, some countries around the world that still advocate, you know, death to anyone who's homosexual. Mm -hmm. you know? um, um, that is in the mix. That is a force that is always present. I think as more years pass, as more time passes, as there are more advancements to the gay rights movement, I, 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 for, I personally feel my own fear levels going down mm -hmm. more and more with the passage of years. Mm -hmm. Never completely goes away, I don't think. And that's what people need to understand, that yeah. just for being who you are and part of a large – I mean, we haven't really talked about the Kinsey scale or yeah. data that says 10% of the population would be considered um, gay lesbian, and you can expand that uh, number with bisexual, but a huge part of the Come, the the populace walks in some level of fear just for who they are at their very essence, and that's not okay. So let me pivot because I mentioned in your introduction that you're working on um, 
marriage equality in Oregon. So both you and I in Colorado and Oregon live in states that have domestic partnerships. That is legal bonding of same-sex couples to permit them the same rights under the law as married couple, but not extending to the right to call what they have uh, legal marriage. marriage. Um, What does it mean to the gay community to have marriage legal? I think that's the current, you know, kind of the big cutting edge issue. Mm-hmm. We now have 13 states around the country, including the District of Columbia, or in mm-hmm. addition to the District of Columbia, that have actually legalized same-sex marriages where there's full marriage equality. We had a major ruling by the United States Supreme Court just this last June mm-hmm. that um, is going to Struck serve down as DOMA. A, yes, exactly. D- the, the, the Defense of Marriage, marriage Act, Act, you know, which was uh, t- intended to codify the definition of marriage as only being between a man and a woman. Um, we, that's part of what we've got in the state of Oregon right now. The Oregon voters voted back in 2006 to define marriage as solely being between a man and a woman. In the state constitution. In the, in the, in the state of Oregon. But we feel like there's been enough of a, of a changing tide of attitude on the issue in recent years that uh, we're in and, and, and Oregon. The only option we have at this point is to put it back to the voters, to put it back to the voters and change it constitutionally. And in Colorado, it's, it's really no different. In April of 2012, a public policy polling survey found that 53% of Colorado voters support the legalization of same sex marriage. Only 40% oppose it. 7% are not sure. They asked a separate question in the same survey and found that 75 Percent of respondents support legal recognition of same-sex couples, and 47 percent support same-sex marriage. Um, so, you know, Colorado and Oregon, well on their way. This conversation, for me, um, you know, well on its way to just talking about the things that we don't always talk about. And so, I'm so grateful. Sam Sappington has been my guest today on the Grateful Dad Radio Hour on MileHighRadio.com. The question was: Can gay and straight men be friends? Of course. For over 20 years, that answer has been true for you, for me, for many of your friends and my friends. And it's really by way of wanting to encourage men to open up to a full range of friendships that we came together today. Typically, I've got a couple of parting gifts for my guests, including for you a copy of the Men's Anthology and my Gratitude Journal. If I have it right, those are in the mail to you um, from the last time you were on the show. They'll be waiting for you in Oregon when you arrive home later this evening. Thanks for traveling through Colorado, making time to stop and hang out with me in the studios of MileHighRadio.com. It's been a uh, pleasure to talk to you so much so that I've been pounding the table with delight. And Haas has reminded me not to do that. Let me remind you that we come to you uh, live Every week, Mondays at 1 p.m. with the Grateful Dad Radio Hour. Next week, we have a conversation about stay-at-home dads and the convention that gathers hundreds and hundreds of them later in October in uh, Denver. So October 7th on the Grateful Dad Radio Hour, it's stay-at-home dads. Until we get together again, I'm Doug Gertner, the Grateful Dad. I'm so grateful to you for listening. I want to remind you to be grateful. Meet me back here next week for the Grateful Dad Radio Hour. (laughs) 